Hi, this is Shotgun Tom Kelly, and now that I have your attention, you wanted to be close to him in the dugout during his impressive 15-year Major League career because he was always watching, listening, and looking for an edge. Now, Kurt Bavakwa brings that edge to Dirty Kurt's dugout, where you can listen, watch, and be a part of the most honest, informative baseball show available today. Now, here's Kurt. Hey, everybody. And for the first time, I'm not sitting here alone. Welcome to Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Let's see. Episode 11, I believe, Gary. Okay. Gary Templeton, one of my former teammates with the San Diego Padres. I uh, want to send a shout out to Hacienda Casablanca out in El Cajon, our title sponsor. And they're at 700 uh, North Johnson out in El Cajon. And you know what? Uh, Cindy and, and, uh, and Tony just gave me permission to, uh, to make an announcement that they're taking reservations for Thanksgiving. So don't think of Hacienda Casablanca just like Mexican food. They're taking... Wow. I even asked my wife, I said, you just want to nix Thanksgiving? So if you want to do that, you don't want all the pain in the neck, or if your family's not with you, go out to Hacienda Casablanca and join everybody that's going out there. You got your traditional turkey dinner or roasted pork loin. Can't go wrong there, but call them for a reservation, 619-442-9827. We were supposed to have Gary Jr., in studio also, but something came up like it does with all guys that are at the top of the scouting ring. Uh, Gary is a scout for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Southern California uh, director of scouting, I believe. And his boss decided to come in town because they're going to go down and watch a baseball game uh, down in San Diego. And sure enough, the game starts at four o'clock today. So he couldn't be here and also be there. So he's joining us live from somewhere down in San Diego, probably looking uh, over a baseball field, Gary Templeton Jr. So we've got a couple of generations from of Templetons here. We've got one generation of Bavakwas, and you don't want the other ones. <laughs> because Gary and my son, Gary and my son Tony used to play together uh, down at oh, yeah. the park. So uh, Gary, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Glad I could uh, make it via, you know, satellite or whatever this is. <laughs> so, so you got this is big time. <laughs> so you got, so you got an assignment. You got an assignment to meet your boss. This guy that you're going to see must be pretty good player. Yeah, he's a uh, pretty high um, ranked in the industry, you know. So, and now's the time where they can come out and see guys early. So, if they need to come back and see him you know, we can get multiple looks on them. So, um, you know, and the kids are in the, you know, the right to have a bunch of scouts out here seeing them. So there's probably, probably about 15 to 20 scouts out here to watch the game. Wow. And my kid just played his last fall game, so he's not going to start <laughs> up. Uh, he won't start up. That's where I saw you last. We were up at uh, Palomar College. And uh, yeah. my son, uh, who's at Orange Coast, was playing, playing a, game, a game against Palomar. So, uh, you know, I'm going to have my producer bring up a video. I want you to look at this video, and I want your reaction of it. You know who Dan O'Dowd is on Major League Network, MLB Network? He's the forward. Yes, I know who it is. I think he's top of the line. This guy knows what he's talking about. And he, had some, he said something on air today that I just had to put on, and I want to get your reaction on it. Tell me what you think. Alan, can you run that video? I don't care how many home runs he hits. Thank you. I want my kid to learn the strike zone and to put the ball in play on a consistent basis. I want every amateur coach out there to stop teaching launch angle and to teach Thank kids you. a flat plane swing on how to hit. I want pitching coaches to teach kids how to stay over the rubber and command their fastball. Is this why Dan O'Dowd's a – an analyst on MLB network and not in a major league front office somewhere. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, it, it's what they're teaching nowadays. So, 
But um, the, the thing about the whole launch angle thing is that the thing that gets me is that they act like nobody was trying to hit line drives before they started doing that. You know, like it's always the goal has always been to hit line drives, you know, and now they just want to reinvent the wheel and, you know, act like ground balls still don't get hits. And the other thing that eats me up about it is that a lot of these guys are trying to teach this to guys that can't hit the ball over the fence. You know, it's like they skip the whole step on, hey, you have to learn how to square the ball up and hit. And I think as an industry, it's kind of a consensus that power is the last thing to come. So if power is the last thing to come, you got to teach guys how to hit first. And then if they're strong enough, they'll develop enough power or they have enough power to hit the ball over the fence. You're, you know, just developing a bunch of guys that are going to strike out and pop up. So, Garrett, if you <laughs> if if you had a launch talk to you instead of swinging down on the ball, how, how many years would you have lasted? Well, I know, I, you know, as when me and you came up, Kurt, you know that we wouldn't have lasted, you know, no time. You wouldn't have got probably wouldn't have got no time in the big leagues, you know, because uh, you know, like Gary said, you know, you see, you go to baseball games now. It's, to me, it's boring because all you see is pop ups and strikeouts. And then guys swinging for the fence, batting 200. And that's what gets me is you got guys that are 200 hitters is hitting when guys are in scoring position. Instead of bunting them over, trying to move them over, let the next guy get them in. And everybody wants this launch angle. And I've always felt that uh, if they get the strike zone back to where it used to be, you can eliminate launch angle because just above the belt is a high fastball for a strike now. When me and you played and my son played, it was letters, you know, up here. And you tell me that, you know, you had to face Nolan Ryan or J.R. Richards or somebody throwing his heart and they got to, had to get the ball down, we would have ate them guys up. But, you know, we had to learn how to hit up high. So our swing planes was different in the way we handled bat the bat. Nowadays, these guys' swings all come this way. That's the reason why you can take – three guys or four guys and put them on one side of the diamond because everybody's swing is the same. It's a round swing. It's not too many boom swings that come through the zone that track all the way through. So Gary, do you, yeah. are you familiar with how the coaching goes in the, uh, I don't want to pinpoint the D backs minor league system, but any minor league system for that matter do they teach their pitchers to throw fastballs up in the zone a lot more? So just coming around um, now. So the new thing is with all the technology and the analytics is that um, some pitchers, their spin rate on the ball um, basically allows them to, when they throw the ball at the top of the zone to give it the illusion that it's rising. So basically, you know, how I kind of describe it is when a guy ball leaves a, a pitcher's hand say it's leaves his hand at 100 miles an hour it crosses the plate at 92 miles an hour now the guys that you have where the ball leaves their hand at 100 and it crosses the plate at say 97 miles an hour those are guys that has the illusion of the ball rising or exploding through the zone and so that's what they're trying to get these guys to do now is like oh he has a high spin rate let's get him to throw the ball at the top of the zone and so it'll have the illusion that it's rising. And, um, you know, there's certain guys that can do it and that are very successful with it. Um, Jensen is one of those guys, closer for the Dodgers. And, um, I mean, even guys are doing it in high school and college because they have the same technology available to them. So you have a lot of guys in high school and technology that are trying to utilize the fastball up in the zone, um, more so, so because of, you know, adjusting to how the players swing planes are and the other thing i wanted to add about the players swing planes is like all these guys are so literal now it's like oh you don't swing down on the ball well you know what my hands start above my shoulders so at some point they have to come down and anybody that's been around the game of baseball knows i'm not trying to hit the ball directly into the ground you know so it's like not everything needs to be taken you know literally as what we're saying, you know, like you have to have some feel and be around the game to actually understand these things. What if, um, if you were to change one thing right now that you know is 
not being taught as much as it should be in the minor league systems of major league baseball clubs, what would it be? Um, I think I would just get back to just playing the game of baseball. You know, it's like, you know, when I was running around the stadium with you guys, the thing that made baseball exciting was that, you know, somebody was going to get a base hit. Somebody was going to steal a base. It was going to be a hit and run. Somebody was going to hit a double, you know, and then the home run was like the ice, like the cherry on the ice cream, like the icing on the cake. Like that was the big finale, you know, so you got to see a complete game. Like you had fielders that were playing their positions and making diving plays and showing range. Like these guys don't have the same type of range and, and they don't have to because they're getting placed, you know, exactly where they want, want them to be whether it's two or three guys on one side of the field or they're playing in the hole, like they don't have to show the same kind of range. So it's just getting back to the end. And the other thing is like how to win games, you know, like the RBI stat, like I don't think is um, valued as it should be because at the end of the day, there's only one way you can win a game and that's to score more runs than the other team. And you have to find a way to manufacture runs. And if you're just going to sit around and wait for three-run home runs, then the game's going to be boring. You're going to get a lot of guys hitting 230 and 35, you know, and you're not going to further progress the game. You, it's like, in this case, you got to take two steps back to the past in order to move the game forward. You can't get started on RBIs because they basically – I mean, that's not even a stat that they look at anymore. Yeah, I know that. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we just had an, a guy that yeah. – I'm not taking anything away from Harper. I think he had a good year. If you wanted to ask me what guy carried a team as much as anything the last month and a half or two months of the season, I'd say Harper. And I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that Tatis should have won the award over him either. But the guy won the MVP award and only had 84 RBIs. But yeah, I, I got a bigger problem, and I'm not even going to get into it with you. I'll get into it <laughs> later on uh, about the American League MVP winner, which to me is really strange. But we'll get into oh, that. Oh, well, I just I just had a big discussion with one of my buddies about that. So I'm, I'm down for that one too, though. I got a little I got a little more time. <laughs> so, what's your thought on Bryce Harper winning the MVP award? I, you know, I I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm Do like, you think somebody else should have won? Yes. yes. And who was that? I, I thought Tatis was was better. Or, and um, you had a couple more guys that was out there. But Tatis, he carried the Padres. He was an MVP player. I mean, God. I mean, he did everything but sell popcorn in the stands. I mean, he played the game. And, and he, he plays hard. Like me and you and Gary would like to see guys play. He runs hard to first. He hustles takes an extra base. He does whatever that team has to do to make a team good and win. And I was saying, if there was more guys on the Padres that played like him, they wouldn't have problems winning baseball games, uh, manufacturing runs, whatever, because this guy, I mean, he plays, he drives and runs, hits home runs, he makes plays, he does everything. Harper, I don't know. I, I don't know. 84 RBIs, I mean, come on, man. Well, Tatis, one of the reasons <laughs> – that he only played in 130 games was because of how hard he plays. Right, he plays hard. So, and, and that's one of the things that I guess the voters look for now. Uh, I don't know who these people are that vote, but uh, I hear, uh, I see the Ken Rosenthal's and uh, uh, the other analysts and guys that are on MLB Network talk about not being a voter. Who in the hell votes for and the MVP award then? I don't. I have no idea who it is. I'd like to see a list, and I'd like to see. Their votes. I mean, they know everything about everybody in this game, but we don't know who votes for who. You don't know who votes for the guys in the Hall of Fame until this last year where they almost forced it out. But I think we let's talk about Shohei Otani for a minute because you said you'll get in that discussion. <laughs> I, I'm picturing, I'm picturing thirty or forty voters out there. In, around a, a circular table, and they're going, okay, I'm going to vote for Shohei. Oh, we will too then. And okay, I'm going to I'm going to put uh, Vladdy second. Oh, okay, we will too. I mean, there's 30 unanimous decision for him to win the most valuable player award 
in the American League. I mean, come on. With Vladimir Guerrero and a guy like Salvi Perez, with the job that they did with their ball club, are you telling me that none of them are going to get first place votes? Tell me why you think that this guy got voted on all 30 ballots. Well, it's it's the combination of the two, right? Like, he had a, a decent year pitching. You know, he went at 8-2 and two with, like, 156 strikeouts. Um, I think he only made, like, 12 starts, um, maybe, maybe a couple more. And then he had some offensive numbers. He had the big home runs. Um, I think he had over 100 RBIs. But it's the – people have – are so enamored with the fact that he's doing both. And in my opinion, um, he's, he's just the only person that's been allowed to do both at the major league level. There have been plenty of guys throughout the years that are capable of doing exactly what he's doing, or maybe not as close to what he's doing, but they were never given the chance. And then furthermore, like the year that Vladdy Jr. had, like that's the better year. You know, like if you take either one of those away from Otani, he's not even getting a, a vote for MVP. If you take the pitching away, his offensive numbers aren't good enough to win the MVP. If you take the hitting away, his pitching numbers aren't good enough to win the MVP. So it's like they're combining the both both of them being like, oh, yeah, he did more, you know, than everybody else when he didn't. You know, it's just something that they've never seen. So they're all, oh, he did both. He did both. Well, there's plenty of guys that can do both. They just don't get the chance. Well, you know the guy that comes to my mind right away, and I thought about exactly what you just said, a guy's not getting the opportunity, is Winnie. Dave Winfield, when he left San Diego and went to the Yankees, he was in the MVP discussion for three or four years. If they would have let him pitch or continue to pitch out of college and be a DH, he would have been doing the same thing that Otani's doing now, and – it probably wouldn't be in the discussion because where are we going to go next year with it? They're talking about having yeah. a DH in both leagues. They need to do away with the DH because guess what, folks? For everybody listening out there, and by the way, you can make comments to the show and we'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have or comments that you might have. So be afraid. don't be afraid to get into the fray. Um, the, this thing about uh, – being having a DH in both leagues, I think Otani shows that you need to do away with the DH, especially <laughs> in the lower classifications of baseball. Where who are your best players in youth baseball? Your shortstop. The shortstop's normally yeah. the best player, and he's normally the best pitcher on the team. So you got a kid that's playing shortstop who's your best athlete, he's your best hitter, he's your best pitcher. And then when he becomes 13 or 14 years old, you make him make a decision on whether he wants to continue to pitch and he puts the bat down. It, it's unfair, I think, to young kids in the game of baseball that makes them have that decision because I, half of them probably fall off the calendar as pitchers and they're not even yeah. there anymore. And they can't go. You can't go back to trying to hit after you've been out of the game for four or five years trying to hit. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, it's, it was hard enough for me being out of the game for two months in, in the winter ball, <laughs> being able to hit it. So what's your, what, yeah. what is your thought process on the DH rule? Um, I, I like the difference between the leagues, and I like the fact that in the National League, um, I mean, I've always been a National League fan, is that it takes more strategy. It, you, have to, you have to be able to manage. You have to have more personnel. You have to be able to be creative with the things you do with your lineup, you know, and you have to know your personnel. It's, it's a lot tougher to manage in the National League, I think, than in the American League where you can just throw out your best nine hitters and then you make a couple pitching changes. You know, like, I, I like the difference. And I like the difference between the leagues. I don't want them to be the same. You know, I, I don't think they should be the same. Well, Gary, I, I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, I'm going to let you oh, yeah. know you're probably chomping at the bits to get out there and watch this. <laughs> uh, I wish yeah, I would. we'll see what he's got today. Yeah, do it. And then uh, and we'll get back together on this show uh, uh, later on in the wintertime. Thank you again. All right. Cool. Thank you for having me. All right. Gary Templeton Jr., everybody. His dad's saying goodbye to him. That's always <laughs> nice. So – 
what, what's your opinion on um, where the game is? I think I know the answer to this, but or at least some of the answers. But where the game is today, and what needs to be reversed to make it edible again? Let me put it that way. Because when you sit at the dinner table, yeah. you don't want food that's gone stale. That's right. And I think there's parts of the game, like Gary was pointing out, where it's just not all baseball. Right. It's strikeouts and home runs. And I know this is pounded. You're beating a dead horse sometimes when you talk about this stuff. But what can be done about it? Well, I don't know what can be done about it because, you know, everybody now is all into the analytics, the numbers, and, you know, teaching these guys, you know, a whole different way of playing the game. So you got different types of athletes that are playing baseball now. I mean, I don't think none of the guys is nearly as tough as we were, you know, coming up. I would just like to see them at least try to get back to doing some of the things that we grew up learning and, and trying to do. I mean, I'd like to see pitchers throw inside more. You know, I'd like to go back and, have guys, you know, learn how to hit the ball to the opposite field, you know, uh, because it's to me, uh, well, let me put it to you this way. I was talking to a person a couple of weeks ago and we was talking about baseball and you know what they told me? And it kind of hurt me a little bit is they said, I don't want to like watching baseball no more. It's just like watching grass grow. It's so boring. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God, you know? <laughs> And I remember when you talked to somebody about baseball, they would they would get all excited, up in arms. Oh man, I watched Alan Wiggins. Man, he just stole two bases. Tony Gwynn hit a single. It was one to nothing. You know, and oh, I love that kind of baseball. You know, I see so and so come up and he bunted, and hey, they got the guy over, and Garvey hits the ground ball, and it's two to nothing. And they said, God, we love that. But now you don't even see none of this stuff. It's, it's like it don't even exist anymore. And it's like uh, a baseball. I, I think what could change the game is you get more baseball people back involved. That's what I would like to see is more baseball people getting back involved and, and, and bringing the game back to where there's excitement. You know, I, I, I mean – the thrill is gone now. I mean, you sit there in the stands and you watch a game and it's like, okay, it's all right. Well, he almost hit a home run. He caught it at the fence. Okay. Next guy strike out. You're sitting there and it's like, okay. But that's the way the game is now. I just like to see baseball people back in the game because now from what I understand, it's just a bunch of computer nerds that, you know, putting numbers in a computer and then coming up with, things that baseball players are supposed to do. You know, you got to have guys that's out there that done did it. Well, I think some of that was uh, – there There was – I think the analytics teams across baseball hit a little bit of a speed bump when the Dodgers completely messed up their pitching staff in the, in the playoffs against the Giants uh, this winter with making the moves of – the game that they won actually turned out okay for him mm -hmm. when Dave Roberts made it a point to say this came from the tippy, tippy top. Tippy, tippy top. Tippy, tippy top, where they started the game uh, with bullpen guy. If you remember, I can't even remember who, yeah, who it was. Yeah, that right-hander came out and started for him. Exactly, instead of, instead of Urias. Instead of Urias. So you got a guy that's a 20-game winner. What who wasn't even in on a Cy Young voting? I know, which blows me away. <laughs> I, I don't get that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of the teams that you know won almost as many games as anybody else in baseball, and he's not even in the voting for the Cy Young. But getting back to the decision to pull him and uh, put him in the game in the second or third inning, where he could possibly go longer. I don't get that. I don't get that thought process. But I was very intrigued the way Dave Roberts in the interview made it a point to get across that it came from the tippy, tippy top. <laughs> so for the first time, 
-hmm. We are getting people to admit that decisions, hence lineups, and whatever is going to happen in the game is coming from the computers and not the manager's mind, which is a shame because I tell you what, who did you play under that was as good a manager with hunches as you've ever seen? Well, Dick Williams by far. I I agree 100%. Dick Williams, I mean, to tell you, that man, I sat on the bench one day and he told me to sit next to him. And I tell you, he was like two or three innings ahead. He was, you know, he, he never told me to sit next to him. He did. He told me, <laughs> he told me to sit next to him. I did it one game, and uh, it was a Sunday game. And I sat there, and he sat there, you know, hey, with them glasses down mm-hmm. in the lineup. And he was marking stuff down. And and I was like, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm thinking a couple of innings ahead that this happened and that happened. You know, but now you got computers doing it, which I, I don't know. Because like you said, that whole Dodgers pitching staff got messed up. And I don't understand how you get messed up and you know you're in the playoffs. There's no reason for you not to have pitching. Should have been pitching somewhere for the Dodgers, and but it wasn't. But, you know, it just goes to show you, and I've heard, like you probably heard a lot of us, that everything comes from the top now. The managers don't get a chance to use their own mind and, you know, make certain decisions, which to me, I know if Dick Williams was probably rolling over right now. Because Dick, you know, I don't know. that He had a way of, of knowing that, hey, this is going to happen, and he, he would be right on top of it. But, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just strange now. But it is. It, it did turn out the older managers that were baseball managers made it to the playoffs in the World Series. Well, I don't think guys. that's any coincidence. And, <laughs> and it took a matter of uh, national pressure for the Padres to hire a manager with experience. I mean, it's, it's you know, unbelievable yeah. that uh, – and and what they did – you know what? I love A.J. Preller. I think he's so smart. Uh, but I started to wonder when all the rumors started coming out at the end of the year about why – that he brought in guys that were green mm-hmm. and whether or not they were more accepting of the front office sending down, you know, the lineups, the lineups. Or, and any other thing that's going on uh, during the course of the game, right. who to use uh, in certain situations or whatever. And then uh, I know that the ball club brought over, I uh, didn't mean to really get into this, but I have to mention at this point, uh, this kid uh, who came from uh, one of the blogs that is uh, puts out baseball statistics, right. a big numbers place, and his name is Dave Cameron. He came with this organization um, around 2018. Somewhere in there. 2019. You know what I'm going to say? You know the guy that I'm talking about? So – this Cameron kid uh, gets hired by the ball club, and this was right before they signed Eric Hosmer. Right. What does this kid say? I think it might have been right before he actually made con- contracted with the Padres. He said the Padres shouldn't sign Eric Hosmer. And he told everybody why. And they went and signed him anyway. So last year – with all of what went on in the Padre, I'm going to call it the dugout because I don't know if it was the clubhouse. But with guys running up the Preller, supposedly guys running up the Peter Seidler, I mean, who were these guys? There's two guys that are going to go upstairs. In my mind, there's right. two. You know, possibly Melanson. Possibly. But I kind of doubt it because he, he doesn't have that right. in him. But it's Hosmer and Machado. Those are the two guys. Tatis isn't going to go up and start screaming. Right. He's too young. Too young. And even though he might be a little bit inexperienced and, and needs to grow up a little bit, he, he's not the guy that went upstairs. It was Hosmer and it was Machado. If if anybody went upstairs from that ball club, that's who it was. Yeah. So And the only reason that Hosmer went upstairs 
was because he wasn't happy because his name's being thrown around as being guy that's going to be traded coming up on a trade deadline. So if that's the case, are you going to go to the guy that's going to trade you? Or are you going to go to his boss? So I think Hosmer went to Seidler and started gritching and moaning about being traded. And here, here's AJ Preller in the, uh, down in the in the offices. He just got um, Frazier from Pittsburgh and Marisnik. Uh, he signed, and nobody to this day can figure out. I don't think anybody's even asked him why he signed those guys. Why? Have you ever heard him answer a question on why were they brought in? Never have. I, I don't understand that. And the only the other thing that I don't understand is post game interviews. Why do you always hear the same people ask the questions? Why isn't it open for anyone to ask, to ask a question? I'll give you a little hint, and I'll tell Gary, too. He probably knows this. If I want to have somebody on this show, I can't just call him and ask him. I have to call the front office. Wow. And ask them to be – and I'm I'm not talking about players. I'm talking about anybody. Anybody. So if I want Jesse Agler to come on the show, which he did Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of months ago, I have to get permission from the front office. What are they afraid of? I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, if I wasn't me, they, he, they said to me, sure, Kurt, go ahead. You know, he, he's more than welcome to come on your show, mm. but I'm just wondering if it's somebody that they don't know, what are they going to say? What are you going to ask? Why do you have to even go through the ball club? Well, I mean, I don't know. You shouldn't have to go through the ball club to talk to a player. I mean, if you if you know one of the players, you should be able to say, hey, can you come on the show? You know, we can have a good time or whatever. But, you know, like you said, Kirk, things are a lot different now. And who knows oh, yeah. who knows what, what, what's going through the Padres, what's going through the Padres' mind. Because maybe they don't want certain things to get out. So maybe they put restrictions on you talking to certain people. I have no but idea. I think it's certain. No, it's not just certain people. It's the whole. Oh, yeah. It's everybody. Oh, it's everybody. It's everybody. Oh. You want to talk to any of the broadcasters? Broadcasters, you too? Want... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's new to me. Yep. No. True story. Yeah. And you know what else is new? A new segment. Did you see that? And we've got new sponsors. It's brought to you by Davies Eye Center eye surgery and treatment specialist, and San Diego's own LaCima Oil Company and your neighborhood Chevron dealers. If you need your eyes checked, folks, if you've got anything wrong with them, you need Lasix, cataract surgery, glaucoma, cornea procedures, or dry eye syndrome, you need to go up and see Dr. Davies and Dr. Foster up at the Davies Eye Center. Uh, These guys are fabulous. Uh, I've got, I feel like the bionic man right now. I got these uh, uh, light adjustable lenses where um, if I call them up and and tell them that, uh, you know, my eyes have been weird or something like that, I'll go back. They can adjust the lenses that they surgically inserted in my eye wow. from the outside, not, not going back in and doing a surgery again. So be sure and call them up. Tell them Dirty Kurt sent you. Maybe you ought to give them my last name. 760-729-7101. Uh, just tell them KB sent you. And did you see that? is going to be a segment that's going to be on the show that if you listen and pay attention, Lasima Oil Company and your neighborhood Chevron dealers, we're going to give you a tank of gas. 
if you pay attention. So I'm going to go back to my producer, Alan, and ask him if he'll bring up um, a still shot that I have. I want to give you an example of what our little context, the contest is going to consist of so that you'll know and have a pretty good idea what to look for in the show. But it, and it doesn't have to be an image like what we're going to see or, um, or a video like we saw earlier with, uh, uh, with Dan O'Data at Major League Network. But it, uh, it could be just something as small as asking you a question about what we talked about on the show. So, Alan, if you can put that image up, I'd appreciate it. Uh, okay, right there. Did you see that? If you remember, Kevin Kiermeyer slid in the home plate. The catcher tagged him out on this play, and Kiermeyer took a ration from a lot of fans in Major League Baseball because if you can see that little white piece of paper next to him, that fell out of the catcher's analytic number, little dealy that they keep. And they have to, I don't know if they have to, but they have them. You see the players look at them all the time now. Why they're needed, I, I, I don't even, I can't begin to tell you that you can't remember the stuff that's on those sheets. But anyway, Kiermaier picked it up, stuffed it in his back pocket, and went in the dugout. And you know what the uh, folks out there called him? A cheater. <laughs> they say he cheated because he got the analytics from the opposition. Alan, you can take it down. So this is an example of what this segment we're going to bring to you could bring to you in a huge gift certificate from Lasim Oil, uh, good enough for a bunch of money worth of gas. And we all know that's a valuable commodity these days. But I might, I might ask you who that Kevin Kiermeyer and the Tampa Bay Rays were playing against that day. Of course, I would have told you because I didn't mention it just then. But that, that might be one way of the contest going on. So at the end of the month, we're going to have four of these. And at the end of the month, I'm going to ask you about one of the episodes and one of the things that I brought to all of your attention. So I want to thank the Davies Eye Center. And I want to thank Lasima Oil uh, for the sponsorship of the show. We've got lots of people out there watching. Uh, so tell your friends about it because they might be able to help you out. Uh, and we're going to make a lot of people happy. Like, I'm going to make somebody happy today. I'm going to get Tempe. Grab that 84. How about this? Got a 1984 World Series program. I'm going to get Tempe to sign this. And the first person to come in and can just right across. Across here? Yeah. All righty. Right across there. First person that comes in and can tell me Gary Templeton's uniform number when he played for the San Diego Padres. And it was the same. Same all years, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I figured it was. I, when, when I started to say that, I wasn't sure because guys do switch uniform numbers. Tell me his uniform number. First person. First person that comes up. I'm going to send this to you. A 1984 World Series program. They're not around anymore, folks. They're not around. So, Alan, if you can keep track of who comes in with the right answer, I'll kind of glance and, and tell you who was right. 
and then we'll we'll go from there. You you mentioned something earlier that brings back a lot of memories. Uh, Alan Wiggins getting on base, stealing second, Tony driving him. How many times do we see that? Oh, you're seeing that a ton of times. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, I think we just got a winner. Uh, Gary didn't even get a chance to answer my question. Uh, Montundo. Is it Kevin Montundo? I hope I said the name right. Uh, you're right. Tempe was number one, number one in your scorecard, number one in your art. Um, so let's um, let's figure out a way to get Kevin's information, Andy, and uh, we will uh, we'll get that book out to him. Uh, Kevin, if uh, for some reason you get disconnected or if Alan, you can't get through to Alan, who's the producer, um, just uh, private message me somehow uh, on social media and we'll get that book out to you. I appreciate it. Kyle, sorry, buddy. A little late. A little day late and the dottle short. <laughs> um, we talked about launch angle and hitting down on the ball opposed to because hitting down on the ball was taught right. when, when we played. As a matter of fact, you're with an organization that was big on it, right? Uh, especially when White Herzog came in and took over. Uh, and even more so after you left. Well, I think that uh, it wasn't more so when Whitey took over because it was like that from the time that I signed with the Cardinals. It was being taught in the minor league system. So when Whitey came in, Whitey just realized that this is what they was teaching these guys because everybody could run like deers. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, hit that stuff on the ground and run like jackrabbits, you know? <laughs> run like you stole some. <laughs> and that's, that's what they taught us from the time that I signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. They said, hey, you know, when I batted left-handed, they told me to just try to hit a hard ground ball to shortstop and then run because we want you to put the ball in play and run. And so Whitey came over and said, wow, look at this. this is the way they teach these guys. Because if you if you notice, he had that one year, he just had Jack Clark as a power hitter. That was it. And he had his first three hitters in the lineup were just slap hitters. And then he had Jack Clark fourth. And then it was just mainly guys that made contact. They hit a line drive and run. And they won the World Series easy. And they, what did they go? Twice, two years in a row or something? Was it? Kansas City beat them. Willie McGee beat them. Tommy Herr. They had Vince Coleman. Vince Coleman. There you Vince go. Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, Tommy Herr, Pendleton, uh, Terry Pendleton, um, George Hendricks. Uh, and they had easy. The, <laughs> the catch in rotated with tennis and. Um, and the, the guy that was Terry Pendleton was a hell of a player. He could play. He was a great defensive player, and he hit the ball from both sides. So that's what they taught. They don't teach that no more. They, you know, guys that can run, but you don't have a lot of guys that can run no more in the game. You know, you don't have a lot of speedsters. I mean, I mean, you go in to play St. Louis, it was all speed. So you were minor league manager for a long time, okay, and not as long as you wanted to be. Mm -hmm from conversations that I had with you about your calls not being returned and stuff like that, right. which I still can't figure out. But um, you're on to something else now. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, when did it start where the scouts went out and just looked for guys that could hit the ball out of the ballpark or throw the ball 95 miles an hour? It started uh, in the 90s. Started in the late 90s. Uh, I mean, I, I should say uh, early 2000s. Because uh, when I was with the Angels, um, they came in with the computer system and they wanted to know everything about everybody. And as a manager, you became a scout while you was doing the games because you had to give the Angels everything on every team that you played against in the minor league system. And, and you had to have it in the last time you played them. You had to have all the information in. So they wanted everything. And 
So by the mid to middle 2000s, a 90 mile an hour, 92 mile an hour guy was generic. He was a generic pitcher, you know. So, I mean, like when me and you grew up, guy was throwing 90 to 92, 94. Those guys was pretty good because usually they knew, knew how to pitch, hit spots and stuff. But they started calling them generic pitchers. And then next thing you know, every time you look up, there's a guy that's 96, 97, 100, 98, 95. So 95 to 100 became the standard. I would say maybe starting 2000 and eight, maybe somewhere in that vicinity, uh, 2008, because I know when I was managing independent baseball, I would go to some of the uh, minor league uh, directors and ask them, you know, when they was getting ready to release a guy, you know, and I would say, hey, and they go, yeah, we're getting ready to release a generic righty. I'm like, what's a generic righty? Oh, he's 90 to 94. And they release him. I signed the kid and I'm like, wow. And these kids were pretty good pitchers, but uh, you know, it's, that's just the way it was. You know, I, I would say to me in 2000, they start calling them generic. So you don't really see a lot of 90 mile an hour pitchers anymore, 90 to 94. It's always somewhere 95 and up. If you look at the numbers, it's 95 and up now. Well, they are measuring the fastball differently now than they did back then. Yeah. So that accounts for probably five to seven miles an hour right or four to seven to be uh, fair and what we mean by that is uh, the radar guns back in Gary and my day would measure the speed of the fastball when it got to home plate now the gun is measuring the ball out of the hand of the pitcher which naturally is going to be much faster and then when that ball travels 60 feet, six inches or whatever the distance is that it travels from the pitcher's hand to home plate, naturally there has to be a huge decrease in speed, not huge, but it, a decrease in speed. And it's probably anywhere between four and seven miles an hour and could be more as a matter of fact uh, on a, a breaking type ball, but it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. So the, uh, the thing I want to know, is before we went on, you were telling me about uh, going over to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, so you're still into coaching, which I didn't know. And <laughs> no. are you really looking forward to this or do you look at it as being just going over to see what's going on and then calling it a day when it's over? No, I'm looking forward to, you know, because I haven't done anything in the last three years because of, everybody knows what happened. I lost my wife. And so, you know, I've just been kind of hanging around the house, not doing anything. So for me, this is going to be big to go over and, you know, do a camp for a month. And, uh, you know, who knows what it might lead to. It might lead to me getting back into the game and, and going back out there because, uh, you know, I enjoy teaching the kids. I, I enjoy uh, uh being uh, able to uh, uh, watch these kids grow and and help them out to you know be able to uh, you know try to get to where they need to go to and, and you know because it's fun you know I, I I like to get back and put the uniform back on and get back out there and like I said who knows I might might end up getting back into the game doing something you know well and I I'm looking forward to that for you uh, and Gary mentioned. Um, his wife that he lost a few years ago. Um, the proverbial, I wish all of you that are watching this show could have met her because I, I think I can say she loved me. She did love you. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. But she did. And the proverbial kick in the ass. Glenda was a kick. And she was so much fun to be around. Uh, I was shocked when it happened. I know Gary's gone through some tough time in the kids. As a matter of fact, we just, uh, we just heard back from Gary Jr. Uh, he said the average drop-off in speed is eight miles an hour. So when you see that gun and you see a guy throwing 100, he's actually throwing average-wise uh, 92. Yeah, 92. So – 
even though starting pitchers aren't training to be starting pitchers anymore, they're just training to be pitchers and to th- go out and throw as hard as they can for as long as they can. And then they know the manager is going to go into the bullpen and get somebody out and, and take them out of the game, which is a shame. I think we need to start training starting pitchers to be starting pitchers and to go seven innings or eight innings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, pitchers didn't want to come out of the game before when we played. Can you imagine going out and trying to get some of the starters off the mound? It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. I, it wouldn't I, have worked. I, I talked to a few starting pitchers, and they were saying, there's no way they take me out in a game in the fourth inning. He said, "We." He said, "It would be embarrassing. It would be an embarrassing situation out there on that mound." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the way the game is. You know, these guys. Everybody's a specialist. Uh, you know, fifth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning. Shoot, I seen Goose Gossage throw eighth and ninth and get saved. You know, and stuff like that. So, you know, I cherish watching guys like that. You know, perform. You know, they went out there and got six outs and got a save. And now these guys only get three outs and they get a save. So, you know, I, I think that you see the Brucelers and the Lee Smiths and the Goose Gossages and them, those guys right there, they were, they were much more competitive, I think. They, they took the ball for a couple of innings nowadays. They have a guy throw it eighth inning and then you come in and only have to get three outs. Can you imagine Goose? I mean, say he would have got. Oh, yeah, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's it's it, the stats aren't just they're not what they used to be. Yeah, they're not. There's there's a lot of different ones. I mean, forget about complete games. It's just never going to happen. And we could we could talk for hours on that. Right. There, there's a little segment on the show that I like to call Coach's Corner, mm-hmm. where I try to relay information mm-hmm. to uh, the youth baseball coaches out there because there's a lot of you. Uh, out there that are doing it for a year or two uh, to help out with the local little league team, uh, the local Y, whatever the team may be, it doesn't matter. And I applaud you for doing that, but there's a lot of things that you guys don't know. So I try to help out by going over certain things. Uh, The, uh, the last couple of shows, Gary, uh, I pointed out what part of the bag to hit when a kid rounds the base. Right. And the other thing is to uh, to get the coaches to uh, have the kids work on leads and getting a jump mm-hmm. off of the bases and not just after they have batting practice, run around the bases and it not even mean anything. Um, can, is there anything that comes to your mind that you could throw out there coaches tip wise that we could tell the coaches out and I'm talking about youth baseball. I'm not talking about major league coaches here. People that really don't know a lot about the game. Um, Well, the only thing that I try to relay to coaches that are dealing with kids in the little league, stop comparing them to the pros. (laughs) Those guys are pros. And they played already for 15, 16 years since they was little and they made it to the big leagues. These kids now are 10, 9, 11 years old. Don't compare them to somebody that's already playing because now you're trying to change them to be like that person. Don't do that. Let the kid be himself and he's going to be a much better player because now you're teaching him the game and not teaching him to play like Machado or play like, you know, Harper or somebody. Let him be himself, you know, because like when me and you grew up, if we wanted to be like Pete Rose or somebody, we, you know, we could say, oh, well, you know, I like Pete Rose. I like the way he does things. But nobody tried to tell us that, you know, to be like this guy. He hit like this and did all this stuff. And I see too many uh, parents and, you know, coaches at that level and they showing them video of this guy and you want to do like this. No, don't do that. You know, let these kids be themselves. You know, when they get about 13, 14 years old, you have a better idea of what they want to do. You know, they, they, they'll have one too. So follow that tip 
and follow mine for sure. Uh, I want to thank Hacienda Casablanca, uh, Gary, of course, uh, Gary Jr., uh, 700 North Johnson. And don't forget, they're serving turkey dinner. But make a reservation. Here, let me give you that number one more time. Uh, and by the way, uh, you can catch this show live on Facebook, also live on YouTube or Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, of course, any of the uh, stations that cover uh, great podcasts. It's uh, Hacienda Casablanca is 760-729-7101. You know what? I sure hope I got that number right. Uh, I'm looking at 760 right now, and it just doesn't seem right uh, for an El Cajon number. But uh, Cynthia, Cynthia Gomez from Hacienda is on and saying hi to me. Uh, hi, Cynthia. I'm glad you're tuning in. If uh, if you're listening right now, please put it up, whether it's 619 or 760. I know it's one of the two. 619. Should be 619, which is what I thought, and I wrote it down wrong, so I gave you the wrong information. But, oh, that's the Davies Eye Clinic phone number yeah. is uh, 760-729-71. Boy, I'm messing everybody up here. Um, I got my notes kind of mixed up here because of uh, the thing that I wanted to say about the owner's meeting. And uh, I'm not even going to try to get into that, but Hacienda Casablanca is serving Turkey dinner. I just talked to my wife about uh, possibly just going there and having Thanksgiving dinner instead of cooking it here and, um, you know, bringing the kids and going out there. We don't have any of the stuff to pick up. Uh, Hacienda Casablanca, 619-442-9827. And I want to thank Davies Eye Center, and I want to thank Lasima Oil Company. And don't forget, pay attention to this show, and it can get you a lot of money in gas because we're going to have a little segment every week. And at the end of the month, we're going to ask you a question. And the first person, like Kevin, uh, that won the uh, 84 uh, World Series uh, book uh, autographed by Gary, um, is going to win a bunch of gas. Yeah, $5 a gallon gas. Uh, And you're going to win at least 20 gallons. So that's not bad. So until next time, this is Stuart Bavacco. I appreciate you tuning in to Dirty Kurtz Dugout. Tell your friends about it. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, around the same time, same station. I'll be letting you know through social media posts and from uh, some live Facebook posts about what time the game will be after Thanksgiving. What time the game? What time the show will be after Thanksgiving. And also, uh, real quick, before we go, let me tell you some of the stuff that's coming out of the owners' meetings in Chicago right now. And, and I told you about this CBA months ago, didn't I? I told you months and months and months ago about what was going to happen. Well, Rob Manfred, time is becoming an issue. This is a quote that he made yesterday. And I don't think anybody knows that 94 didn't work out too good. I mean, are you kidding me saying something like that? If if I'm the Players Association, to me, that's just a threat. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. It's a threat. And I've been seeing this coming ever since these two guys, and when I say two guys, I'm talking about Manfred and Tony Clark, got together to try to put an agreement together for the season for COVID. And they were going back and forth like it was going to be for the rest of their lives. And I know there was a lot of stuff to go over, but it was a damn shame. I mean, it really was. We're going to be talking about the CBA next show. So be sure to be here and be sure to keep your ears open because it might give you a chance to win a tank of gas. Until next time, 
for Gary Templeton, for Gary Templeton Jr., for all the folks out at Hacienda Casablanca, I bid you a fair farewell. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Talk to you soon.